If you turn to page 653, we're going to be reading Isaiah 35. The ransomed return to Zion. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become like a pool of water and the thirsty land springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, in their lairs, there will be grass, reeds and papyrus. A road will be there and away. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Even the fool will not go astray. There will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it, and the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Luke and is found on page 950, chapter 7, starting at verse 18. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, Go and report to John the things you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and those with skin diseases are healed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft robes? Look, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and far more than a prophet. This is the one it is written about. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, 
No one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptised with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptised by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Do you want to turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 35? We are continuing our series in Isaiah. If you need a booklet from Isaiah, there's some more at the back to put out this morning. Uh, for those who, who know me, you know that I love singing. You know, with that line in the song, you know, Jesus, I sing for all you've done for me. I honestly just love to sing about what God has done for me and who God is. It's like, oh, praise the name of the Lord my God. I want to adore him and, and praise him. There's a verse I love, it's on the screen from Psalm 100. Here it is. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. Isn't that a beautiful verse? I want to talk this morning about that word gladness. I want to think about what it means to be glad in God, to delight in Jesus, to rejoice in your salvation, to be pleased with who God is and who he's made you. Uh, Martin Luther said this about gladness. The heart overflows with gladness and leaps and dances for the joy it's found in God. In this experience, the Holy Spirit is active and has taught us in the flash of a moment the deep secret of joy. Deep joy in Jesus and rich gladness in God himself, whatever your circumstance. Do you hear that? The heart overflows with gladness, whatever your circumstance. I want to ask you, does that describe your heart this morning? Do you worship the Lord with gladness? Is your heart overflowing with gladness, whatever your circumstance? It was uh, 20 years ago that I first met this little man. I used to work at an orphanage in Thailand. Uh, I've just dragged across so you can't see me 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> this guy is called, is called Anorak. Uh, he grew up on the streets when he was five years old. He was taken into the orphanage. He's HIV positive. When I'd met him, he had lived in the orphanage for over a year. And for him and for the other 20 kids, that orphanage was like a, like a beacon of light for them. They had a place to live. They had food in their bellies. They were taught about Jesus. Uh, they were educated. And despite his circumstances, this little man... He was the most joyful, glad, happy little boy I'd ever met. I remember uh, these 20 little boys, and they were singing. Remember that, that song, Rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say, in Thai. I didn't understand a word of it. But they were just dancing, and they were happy. They had so little, but they were glad. And I thought, gosh, they've got nothing, you know. But they had Jesus. And so despite their circumstances, their heart were overflowing with gladness. Uh, this lady here is called uh, Demuzi Lafoon. This is her story. She 
lives in Haiti, in Haiti with her two kids. Uh, she goes to church there. The church is actually just a tent now because of the earthquake a few years ago. Listen to this description. In the front row sat six amputees ranging in age from six to sixty. They were clapping and smiling as they sang song after song and lifted their prayers to God and their worship was full of hope with thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, and no one was singing louder or praying more fervently than Demosi Lafine. She's the, the lady in the, the red scarf, if you can see her. 32 years old, unemployed, single mother of two. During the earthquake, a collapsed building crushed her right arm and her left leg. And after four days, both limbs had to be amputated. And now here she was, a few months later, leading the choir, leading the prayers, standing on her prosthesis and lifting her one remaining hand high in praise to God. And following the service, I met Demose's two daughters, aged eight and ten. The three live in a tent, five feet tall and eight feet wide. And despite losing her job, her home, and two limbs, she is filled with gratitude. God brought me back to life, she said. He gave me the gift like Lazarus. I get to raise my girls and I get to serve my Lord for a few more years. My heart is filled with deep joy and gladness at what the Lord has done for me. Isn't that amazing? My heart is filled with deep joy and gladness at what the Lord has done for me. So again, the same question, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, is your heart filled with deep joy and gladness, whatever your circumstance? Are you delighting in Jesus, amazed at God's work of restoration and redemption in your life? You know, I am restored, I am redeemed by your spirit, I am free. God's brought you from darkness to light, so your heart's glad, not sad. God's brought you from death to life. Are you, are you glad, not sad about that? Or perhaps you're just sort of seeing life through the lens of my burdens and my trials and my stresses and my strains. I want to say to you this morning, amongst your pain, amongst your burdens, amongst your sadnesses, you can still be glad. That's the lesson of Isaiah 35. See that last verse? Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. And what is promised of that last day starts right here today. Your hearts can be glad. Your hearts can be full of joy whatever your circumstances. So in Isaiah 35, just to give you some context, Isaiah 35 comes in a section from chapters 28 to 39. That's the third section in Isaiah. And we've moved on in history at this point. So King Ahaz, remember evil King Ahaz? He's no longer king. He's gone. A new king is, is here. He's called he King Hezekiah. He's a more godly king. He's a better king. And by this time, the northern kingdom has fallen in 722. But from chapters 28 to 34 is a pretty dark depressing picture let me just flick you through a few chapters chapter 28 god says woe against complacency there's a verse on your screen i hear the word of the lord you mockers for you said we've cut a deal with death and we've made an agreement with sheol 
And you've got this picture of, of, of these people who are scoffing at God and they're rejecting God's word. And there's religious leaders who are rejecting the truth and teaching rubbish. And God's people become more and more complacent. And they, we've done a deal with death. We don't need you, God. We're self-sufficient. And God says, no, woe against you, complacent church. Chapter 29, woe against hypocrisy in God's church. Because the people had, have hard hearts and they are self-sufficient. It's like they're in church, but they're play-acting. 29 verse 13, the Lord said, Because these people approach me with their mouths to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. And their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote. I think I could preach a whole sermon on that verse, you know. Sit in church... We sing the hymns, we say the prayers, but it's just lip service. Our hearts are miles away from God. And we like rules. It's legalistic religion, learning what God likes and doesn't like. But we just don't honor him and we don't trust him. It's just play acting. Chapter 30, God says, woe against you, proud church. See that verse, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel has said, You'll be delivered by returning and resting your strength. What a beautiful verse. You will lie in a quiet confidence, but you're not willing. And you say, no. Chapter 30 is is a dark day for God's people. 30 verse 1, woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord. They carry out a plan, but not my plan. They make an alliance, but against my will, piling sin on top of sin. Down to verse 10, they say to the seers, don't see. And to the prophets, don't prophesy the truth to us. Tell us flattering things. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Leave the pathway. Rid us of the Holy One of Israel. We don't need God, they say. Isn't that awful? God's people plotting and planning, but they don't need God. We're in control, they say. Look what God says down in verse 15, sorry, 18. The Lord is waiting to show you mercy, is rising up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him are happy. It's like God is saying, come on, wake up church, come home, come back to me, get rid of your pride, get rid of your hypocrisy, I'm waiting for you, I want to be merciful to you. But they don't. Chapter 31, a woe against self-reliance. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and depend on horses They do not look to the Holy One of Israel and they don't seek the Lord's help. God looks at his church and says, God, why why do you look to the world? Why do you trust the world? Why do you begin to speak like the world and accept what the world says is right and wrong and you don't look to me? And throughout these chapters, God is saying, woe to you, church, woe to you, church, woe to you, church. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you. And God did. So chapter, chapter 34 is all about. 34 verse 2. The Lord is angry with all the nations. 
furious with all their armies, he will set them apart for destruction, give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out, and the stench of their corpses will rise. The mountains will flow with their blood. All the heavenly bodies will dissolve, and the skies will roll up like a scroll, and their stars will all wither as leaves wither on the vine and foliage on the fig tree. It's a terrifying chapter of God's wrath and judgment on all peoples. And the scary thing was that God didn't just judge all the nations. He judged his godless people. He judged his godless church. He judged his people who were proud, hypocrites, arrogant, uh, and play-acting. And they had no relationship with God. And it's into that context that you get this sort of glimmer of light, this beautiful picture of hope of Isaiah 35. Because that's what God's people need, isn't it? If you were just one of the few remnant, there were just a few left who did trust God, who did honor God, and it wasn't fake, it was heartfelt, not lip service. There were just a few people living in Judah, and they were surrounded by destruction and chaos and godlessness. And chapter 35 would have been like a breath of fresh air to them, wouldn't it? Do you know when you're in that moment of utter despair and someone just gives you a verse of scripture and it's just like a it's like balm to your 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 hurting soul you go oh thank you lord like like james said be still my soul that's what god's people needed to hear a word of hope a word of comfort that god would restore his world i've been in in christchurch this week it's eight years since I was last year, last there. And I walked down the city, you know, and after the earthquake, the house I lived in was no longer standing. The church I worshipped at was no longer standing. And the whole thing is just like this, this, it's like this war zone. There were buildings sort of half falling down. And if, if you see your life like that, you know, you, you feel like your life is half falling down, you're living in this war zone, what you actually need is, is, is a picture of hope for the future saying, I'm going to come back, I'm going to restore, it's going to be better than it was before. That's what chapter 35 is all about. Hope, hope of restoration. I've got two simple points. Be glad in God's restoration. That's my first one. God is promising his people he will restore them and transform them and renew them and refresh them. Amongst the darkness there's light. Amongst the sorrow there is joy. See how creation is glad in verse 1? The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. It will blossom abundantly. I love the kind of the poetic language. It's kind of like it's in a desert land, in a barren land, and you just begin to see these, these flowers come up from the ground, and then they open. And you, Can you imagine like Floyard in the desert? It's this picture of, of beauty and hope and restoration and abundance, verse 2. It will blossom abundantly. It doesn't feel like it now as they live in the barren land, but that's what God has promised them. 
And they will rejoice. Creation rejoicing and, and singing. Can you, can you imagine that? Like the, the forest of the trees are rejoicing at God because he's restored them. And Lebanon, verse 2, and Carmel and Sharon, the most beautiful places in ancient Egypt that now lie ruined. A bit like sort of Pompeii. Have you ever been to Pompeii? It's just derelict. But these places will be splendid again and they will see the glory of the Lord. So creation is going to be restored and for that they're glad. And creatures are going to be restored and for that they are glad. The they of verse 2 who will see the glory of the Lord is the redeemed, verse 10, the redeemed of the Lord, the ones that God has rescued and saved, the remnant who have trusted God. And for them, verse 3, their weak hands will be strengthened so they can serve the Lord again. Their shaking knees will be steady so they can bow to the Lord again. Their blind eyes, verse 5, will see and their deaf ears will hear and their weak Useless legs will leap like the deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And it's, it's a picture of complete reversal. And, and it's kind of like this, this beautiful picture of the creator God who is bringing new life. New life to hurting people. And that's why verse 4 makes sense. Be strong. Do not fear. Be strong, do not fear, my people, because here is your God. As you live in this barren land, a desperate, despairing, wounded, afflicted land, don't fear. Be strong, because God is coming. Isn't that what God's people needed to hear? Can you imagine, I don't know if you've ever been sort of to a, a place that you've once lived in and you go back and it's just derelict and deserted you ever been to the sort of those eerie places where mansion houses where it's just now overgrown and the the creepers are against the walls and the you know the the wild animals are living there can you imagine like kirribilli like that imagine kirribilli house completely derelict with just wild animals running around or this church and it's just overtaken by moss it's just a ruin that's what it was like for god's people and Isaiah 35 is this, this glimmer of hope to say it's not going to be like that. God is going to come and God is going to restore and it's going to be a reversal of this dereliction. And that's why this message is so liberating. Now how is God going to do it? Verse 4. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming and God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Remember that double-sided corner of judgment? God always works like this, you know. He judges some and saves others. At the Passover, he judged some with death and he saved others. At the Red Sea, some were saved and some were destroyed. That's still the way. The prayer will be trampled, the hypocrites will be shut out, the wrongs will be put to right, but out of that fire of judgment will come restoration and redemption and rejoicing. And it happened, you know. It happened. God's people came back out of the barren land. They came back to the land filled with milk and honey. They experienced physical blessings. And they experienced physical blessings. And they waited and they waited and they waited. And they waited for the Messiah. Remember the, we just read in John the Baptist. In uh, Luke chapter 7. 
John the Baptist at this point is now in prison. But do you remember his first words are recorded in John's gospel? When he sees Jesus. What do you say? Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and the Apostle John says the word became flesh and took up his residence. We've seen his glory in Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7. They send a message to Jesus and says, are you the one? He says, yes, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. I am the one. Look to me. I've come. I've come. And the reality is for us that if we're here today, no matter what's going on in life, no matter how messy your life is or how burdened you feel, if you're in Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, then the the restoration work has already begun in you, hasn't it? Now for me, verses 5 and 6 came true in 1990. That was a time where spiritually my blind eyes were opened. I could see Jesus and, and believe in Jesus. And my deaf ears were unstopped. And suddenly I actually heard the word of God. It made sense to me. And that was, that was the day where my lame feet were restored. I was able to walk in God's way. And my foolish mouth that would would talk all this rubbish, was now singing praises to Jesus. And if actually you've, you've experienced Jesus, that is your, your story, isn't it? That suddenly life takes on a whole new meaning. That you don't see life in black and white anymore. It's now in color. And you, you see life through the lens of God's restoration and God's redemption and your search for meaning and your search for happiness and your search for hope is now in, in, in the right place rather than the place that it can never deliver. So if you're here today in Jesus, your heart should be overflowing with gladness because you've got a restored relationship with God. Sin has been dealt with. You've got a restored identity. You're a child of God. You've got a restored purpose. You're, you're living for God. You've got a restored meaning for your life. The problem is he hasn't yet finished, has he? We're still living in this messed up world with our burdens and our stresses and our strains and our sickness. And we're not quite rejoicing and glad glad like we should be because we still see life through the mess that we face day to day. Which is why we need our second point, which is be glad because of God's road. I love verse 8. A road will be there and a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Down to verse 9, the redeemed of the Lord will walk on it. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing and crying with unending joy. And joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. It's the picture that in this this barren desert land, there's a path, there's a, a road for God's people to walk down and God will bring them home. He'll bring them back to Zion, back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land. It's kind of like you imagine them walking on this road singing, you know, take me home, country road, to the place where I belong. Or maybe they're singing Michael Buble. Another summer's day has come and gone away in Paris and Rome. I want to go home. I may be surrounded by a million people. I still feel all alone. I just want to go home. Let me go home. I'm too far from where you are. I want to come home. 
And that's what God's people were longing for, wasn't it? They wanted to get out of the desert, back to the garden, get me home to be with my God. No sickness, no suffering, no oppression, no hopelessness, no helplessness. Just want to be home. And God says, I'll get you home. Here's the road, verse 8. It's going to be called a holy road. Of course it's a holy road because what's the attribute of God in Isaiah chapter 6? Do you remember when, when, when Isaiah sees the, the, the king on his throne, he sings, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So the road's a holy road. And that means, verse 8, that unclean people can't travel on it. And God looked at his people and said, okay, you, you are actually unclean. You don't deserve to be on this road, but I will make you clean. I will wash you and I will cleanse you and I'll call you my holy people so you can walk on this road. It's a holy road, verse 8. It's a safe road, verse 9. There's no lion there. There's no vicious beast there. If you're on this road, God will protect you. No one will stop you from returning home. There are road rules in verse 8 though. There's a highway code. The one who walks the path, the one who obeys God and believes God and trusts in God will be on this road. It's a happy road, verse 10. Because the redeemed come with singing and unending joy and joy and gladness overtake them. You imagine that procession of God's people thousands upon thousands they're singing and they are dancing and there's gladness because they're, they're back home and again God did it he brought his exiles home but I do wonder church whether we ever long to return home long for heaven like the exiles would have done I met a man in Christchurch this week his name was Dallas, strong Christian man, sort of rugby playing kind of man. Uh, and his son, his only son, was born with this condition where he's confined to a wheelchair and he'll never walk and he'll never speak and he'll never feed himself. And he talked about how all he wanted to do was just play footy with his son. And he stood up on stage in this men's convention talking about suffering and he says, what has God taught me through this? He said, oh, I just long for heaven. I just long for heaven so that my son can walk and leap. I long to see my son healed totally. And I understand that might not happen in this world, but it will happen then. So I just say, bring it on to take me home. But you know, we shouldn't need to go through that depth of disaster and tragedy to actually long for home, should we? Surely you just live in this world with all its messiness and you open your papers or you watch the news and you just think, oh, come Lord Jesus. Wrap up your world. Take me home. I want to say again that unlike the Israelites who just had this road that was called the way, does that ring any bells to you? The way. What did Jesus say? John 14, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, the road is Jesus. 
He is the holy way. And verse 9, the unclean won't travel on it. That's good, isn't it? Because we're made clean in Jesus. We can't cleanse ourselves, but he makes us clean. It will be for those, verse 8, who walk the path. Now, as Christians, we still need to live God's way and obey God. It's not cheap grace. But we can be certain, verse 9, that we will make it. That no vicious beast will stop us from making it home. I hope you know that. If you're on the road, if you trusted Jesus the way home, the way to heaven, if you're on the road, then he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Nothing will separate you from that. The problem I think we have is that God doesn't say that the, the road of following Jesus will be an easy road, does he? He never promises us that. Sometimes this road back to heaven will be level and easy and smooth, but sometimes it will be tough and steep and awful and life will throw this stuff at you. And sometimes you'll be tempted to get off God's road because the wide road of the world seems so much more attractive. And God says to us, now stick with the road because you'll get home. Stick with it. And they'll be singing and they'll be dancing and rejoicing on that last day. As we, as we sit here this morning, uh, hundreds and thousands are, are running the city to serve, aren't they? No? And, you know, there's, there's the route, isn't it? You have to go down. You, you can't decide to take a shortcut. You know, actually, I'll only run 5K. I'll just do the shortcut or hop on a bus and get to, get to Bondi. That'd be quicker or... Or why don't we just stop in the pub for four hours and just drink lots of beer and then get a taxi to the finish line? That, that doesn't count. Now, the ones who actually get the medal today are the ones who actually finish the course. They run the race. It's like us in the Christian life, isn't it? This road that we're on, now, it's bumpy and it's messy. And at times you want to go, God, why are you taking me through this? But the promise is there. That we will walk on this road, verse 9, as the redeemed people, the forgiven people, and we'll get home, and they'll be singing and rejoicing, and we'll be crowned with unending joy. So if you're here this morning and you've trusted in Jesus, you believed in Jesus, I want to say stick with the road. Don't think there are shortcuts to get to heaven. Don't think there's an easier way to travel than obeying God. Stick with Jesus, obey what God says. So, to, to two reasons to be glad. God's begun the restoration in Jesus. He will, he will finish on the last day. I, again, I, I don't know what trials and sufferings you're going through. Whatever you're going through, you know, trust that God will hold you and keep you. And he can. He does have the power to restore you. If he doesn't do it now, he'll do it on the last day. And stick with the road, stick with Jesus, there's no other way. So worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Is that your heart this morning? Glad, delighting, rejoicing? Let me pray. Father, we want to be the people who are known as glad, rejoicing, delighting people. 
Father, as we, as we are pilgrims in this barren land, I pray that you would remind us that heaven is our home, that you are the God who restores, you are the God who redeems, you are the God who will take us home. For those of us this morning who are hurting deeply, a sickness, a sadness, a suffering, or just deeply wounded, Lord, I pray that in the midst of that, you would remind them of your goodness. They'd be able to delight in your restoration and your redemption. Lord, I pray that we'd be known as a people with a song in our heart. Because you are good. In Jesus' name.